We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Is this part of the path that you see yourself on the next five, ten years to have director be the central thing and make a film every two, three years? I think I've found the perfect expression of my artistic qualities. It's not easy, bro. I've been blessed to find it. (laughs) This is the perfect expression of your artistic qualities. Yeah. It has everything. It has music in it. It has film. has color, set design. And I'm the type of guy, I'd be like, yo, cameras, I love cameras, I love lenses. I may tell them, yo, it's put a bit of 100 on it, put a 35 on it, put a 17, I want wide. As a matter of fact, we use anamorphic lens for this movie, okay? Panasonic don't even have a lot of those running around. They brought those to us, like, yo, I had to take a picture for that, you know? <laughs> the RZA is a legendary music producer who's becoming a serious film director. His new film, Cutthroat City, is set in New Orleans after Katrina, where a group of young men plan a heist, even though they're not really thugs. It's a powerful, engrossing film, and we dig deep into it in this conversation. You'll hear half of this convo for free for the whole thing. Go to patreon.com slash show. Okay, here we go. It's the RZA on Torre Show. Tell me about this movie. Why why, why this movie now? Cutthroat City, New Orleans, Katrina, Shamik. It, the trailer is amazing. Tell me about this movie. Well, I'm going to start talking about the movie without saying it up to my brother, seeing it in a long time, acknowledging your hairstyle. <laughs> okay. Acknowledging each other's beards. I just start it's there all very first. long. I haven't cut anything in a while. You haven't cut anything in a while. I got great. If you want to acknowledge, you're the first two-time guest on this show, so I appreciate that. Well, bong, bong. Bong, you know, bong, I, I, indeed. I started quarantine without braids, and I got braids now, so <laughs> that's, how, that's how we're doing it. But anyway, man, it's a pleasure to be here and talk to you again. But this film right here, this is like, uh, I think this is me really concreting myself down as a filmmaker. You know, it's a film that's based in New Orleans after the you know, with the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And you watch these four young men who have all these aspirations and they turn into desperation. And desperations can lead us down a rabbit hole, as we all know. And hopefully the goal 
of the film for me as a filmmaker is to inspire after desperation, what could beat desperations? Determination. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, you know, to kind of summarize the vibe of what I'm trying to do here. Uh, that's what the film is aiming to show. I know you're a student of film. So what are the films that are most inspiring your vision of this one? Like, did you make a mood board or at least in your mind, you're like, I want to take a piece of this, a piece of this, a piece of this and make it my own. And like, what is, what is, what are the fathers of this? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, um, the first father, to be honest with you, is my own struggle with, you know, in, in the Wu-Tang class struggle as young black men in our neighborhood. I didn't experience Hurricane Katrina, right? But I experienced things that definitely tore my neighborhood apart. You know what I mean? And I also experienced myself and a group of men trying to get out of the neighborhood and a lot of us not getting out. And so when I got the screenplay, because I didn't write the screenplay, it was written by my buddy Paul. And when I read it, of course, Hurricane Katrina was a tragic thing for our, for our country. You know, we have the 15th year anniversary of it right now, and, and things don't seem to change much in this country, right? In the sense of how, how disasters hurt the black community or the poverty community more than it hurts other communities. We can see that right now in the pandemic, right? But even if this story was set in Flint, Michigan, where the water was bad, or set in Chicago, the South South, where my brothers is going through the struggles they're going through, or set right on Staten Island, Park Hill. Either, either, either place, it's, this story is relevant. But this one is set in Katrina. And, it, and these guys, when they turn to that desperation, uh, it becomes, they got to pull a heist off. And for me, the films that kind of, I could, that inspired, like, you know, like films I would turn to, Boys in the Hood. I think John Singleton, Boys in the Hood, was a great example of somebody trying to get out, but yet the, the situation, the neighborhood itself, or the situation it was under holding the men. I thought John did a great job telling that story. You go back to F. Gary Gray on Set It Off, you know what I mean? In which he had the four women trying to figure life out, you know? Um, um, and then, of course, being a, a student of John Moosh, and Tarantino and John Woo, you know, those elements would always pop up in my, in my work. Those are my teachers. And, 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 um, and Spike Lee. Like, Spike Lee is the, is the, is the black filmmaker. You know, it's been, you know, of course, the, the, the band Peebles and all them brothers did, you know, earlier, right? But if you go to, to what Spike Lee did for my, for my time of watching movies from uh, She's Gotta Have It, do the right thing all the way up to his last film. You know, he had a certain, he has a certain style and poise about making movies. And, and he's a, he's a, he's a professor of that. And we studied and learned from him. And, uh, I had to, I had to use one of his tricks in the movie as well. What was that? Well, you ever notice in Spike Lee movies, you always have that dolly scene. Yep. Like, yeah. So playing homage to him, there's one shot in the movie where, the, where, where uh, Blink, played by Shamik Moore, and the Myra, played by Cat Graham, they're getting married. And then you see the rings just dolly up to, to them. That's my Spike Lee shot. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> Is there a specific Tarantino wink or nod in the film like that? Yeah, of course. If you, if you watch Tarantino Reservoir Dogs, it opens up in a group of men having a conversation. And therefore, my film opens up, I mean, after the opening sequence, 
right, which is definitely really the opening sequence. If you've seen Kill Bill, of course, and you watch the Owen Ishii uh, animation sequence, right? So my film opens up, my open title credits is an animated sequence. And that's a nod to him, but then it ends up in a Reservoir Dog situation where it's just a couple of guys that's all talking to each other. So I kind of mixed those, took his elements, and did that as a cinematic way to nod to the teacher. But I played it even further by commentating on doing that. So I can't wait to the audience see the film. And I'll, I'll give a little spoiler. The, after you see that sequence, and he's sitting there talking with his friends because it's the, you know, our, our lead character, Blink, is a comic artist. So, he, so the sequence is his, his own work. And then he sits there with Demetrius Ship, who plays Miracle, and he says to the guy, yo, that shit ain't real. Y'all see there's some over-the-top Quentin Tarantino shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything ain't got to be that. Ain't got to be that. You know what I mean? And the point being made is that's what some of my friends have told me in my creative, uh, creative world, you know, that sometimes I take it over there. You know what I mean? But that's art. You know, in some art you read about giants. You know what I mean? Jack and the Beanstalk is about a giant. But then in Alex in Wonderland, she shrinks down and go down a rabbit hole. It's all art. Directing is two different sides of your brain because you got to have that art part, that left brain where you're telling a story and working with creative artists, uh, like the actors, and then all the technical stuff with the, the lighting, the cinematography. And I'm always impressed at how directors can deal with both sides of those. Is there one side that comes easier to you or I guess like just what is the biggest challenge for you in directing a, a film like this? I mean, the biggest challenge I think is first, the biggest challenge is getting the film done, right? Get a green light, you know, film has to be the most expensive expression of art ever. I mean, to make an album, maybe what, you know, in the good old days, say a guy get a million dollar budget, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever. You know, to paint, all you need is canvas and some paint. To play a song, you can just really get a guitar and you can make a song, you know. To make a movie, okay, that's the most expensive form of art. And in this particular case, in the average case, you know, a movie could cost you $200,000 a day, okay? And so that's the biggest challenge is to get the industry and, and, and your peers and the, and the executives who give you a chance to play with that type of economic intent and strength and gathering of all these people. It takes a lot of people to make a film to get everybody to come on board and focus into a laser beam focus to say, we're going to tell this story. That's the most challenging part. Once you get that, for me, everything else falls right in my own criteria. I, I, I'm actually... I'm very technical. I'm the guy that, you know, remember we used to put the headphones inside the mixer to make a mic. <laughs> you know what I mean? If the speakers bust, we put tape on the speaker, get a magnet from something else. We used to take the speaker out of the TV sets, get wired to those, put them in a box and make it <laughs> and make your music. You know what I mean? So the technical part of life and the creative part of life has been part of my natural growth as a musician, as a hip hop artist. Um, and then when I realized what film was, I did take the time to study it. 
And what I mean by study it, I mean study it from every angle, from what a VP needs to do, what a PD needs to do, with a grip, a gaffer. You know what I mean? I, you know, I spent time with, with some great teachers talking to gaffers and grips and, 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 and production designers, you know what I mean, and, and art directors, and all these different departments that it takes to make a film, you know what I mean, prop masters, all this. And by doing that, I'm able to understand the language. And that's for me, this is like the best expression of art I could be doing, Torrey. I always, I'm always curious, between takes, you go over to the actor and you tell him something. What and that interaction is perhaps the center of what a director does. What is your style on coaching the actors in between takes? Like, how do you do it? Well, it depends on what, what I'm looking for, right? I've been blessed to have great talent, you know, that could navigate themselves through the screenplay and come prepared because an actor must prepare. Like, everybody has to prepare. So, I had the blessing to have great talent. But Let's say somebody gets there and he's lost in what, where the film is at and where the story is at and the emotion of where his character is supposed to be in. I'm supposed to know that, and I do know that. I know that, I know it at all times. And so I have two ways of doing it. One, at first, first I'll let an actor exhaust his take. It's like, let him do his verse the way he wants to do the verse. You know what I mean? Now, after he did the verse, how he did the verse... Okay, I'm like, look, yo, that's cool, but actually, this is where the actor, this is where the character is at. This is the spirit he has to be in, and I'm, I'm, I'm very good at communicating it because I've been an actor, I've been on that side of the field, so I'm, I'm good enough to take it in uh, and give it out. But look, it's delicate, you know, because if an actor has made his mind up about something, he may not understand what you're trying to get out of him. And so you got to have a, have a memory bank and an emotional memory bank to know off top that there is a um, place and a compass where this character needs to be. And what the RZA does is he goes and he will show you the compass. Can you talk about how your acting career has helped you in your directing career? Yes, First of all, Torrey, I've been blessed to work with some of the best directors in the world. So I'm not on, I mean, I've, I've done some, you know, some, some, uh, you know, independent films and things of that nature. And even in those films, I've been blessed. I've been blessed to have a great, um, you know, just repertoire of opportunities. And I never take an opportunity for granted. So you see a guy like me, I'm working with Ridley Scott, who's probably one of the most visual, intelligent directors ever. He has what we call multivision. I'm working with a guy like Quentin Tarantino, one of the most innovative, two-time Oscar-winning writing director, okay, who has, who has an encyclopedia of film in his head. I'm working with guys like John Woo, the master of action 90s cinema, who, who films inspired Hollywood to be what it is. Never seen two guns held like that until John Woo did the killer, baby. Um, I'm getting a chance to work with uh, comedic timing actors like Judd Apatow. See what I mean? So I was blessed, you know, Jim John Moose with Ghost Dog, you know? So I was blessed to have great directors direct me. 
and I paid attention. You know, I knew when I felt uncomfortable. You know, I had a director in a movie I did called Derailed where he almost, like, he did something that he had to do, but I was very bewildered by it. And the very first day of me filming, my character, who is written in the, is written in the script, my character is going to get shot. He did it on the very first day. <laughs> did you imagine? <laughs> you saw up the set, and they got all these, chiro, these pyrotechs, and uh, they got this fucking helmet they're going to put on you, and they, all these wires and squibs. This is day one. And I was like, I was bewildered by it. And I went home that night, and I was like, man, this is fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I, and I, and, uh, but I said to myself, I said, you know what? I'm glad he did that. To myself. I said, that means, I know that this character is not making it through the movie. I know that for a fact. So what I better do is make this character memorable in the movie. And I, and I had this whistle I would do. Every time you see my character, I do a whistle. And one day I ran into somebody who saw the movie, they did that whistle. And I was like, okay, I did my job. But I had a chance to talk to that director years later. About three years later, we're in California, we're having dinner together. He's doing this new movie. He's thinking about putting me in it. And we sit down and I asked him, I said, yo, why did you do that on the first day? He said, well, uh, he said, I could have scheduled it differently but it was an important scene in the movie. And at the time, I didn't know you. And I was hiring someone from hip-hop. And I wasn't sure how the whole shoot was going to go. So I had to protect myself by getting what I needed most. I, see, I totally understood. He had a stereotype in his head that he had to avoid. He had a scheduling thing that he could have been confronted with. And as long as he would have got what he needed that day, he could have completed what he had to do for the producers. And he, then he came back and said, you notice that even after your character was gone, I get, I put more footage of you in the movie. I said, yeah. So yeah, because you did a great job. You know what I mean? Beyond that scene, he felt like my character, the way I played him throughout the rest of the movie, it warrant explanation they weren't some type of a homage yeah so anyway we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to doordash if you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick let doordash bring dinner tonight my family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting 
is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. If you love Torrey's show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't, then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody-Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a Black and progressive perspective. We really do have to be very thoughtful, especially in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida, and Wisconsin and Arizona, about how we're going to vote. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed, all right, back to Torre show. I mean, one of the things, I want to get into this movie more. I mean, one of the things, when I wrote um, my book about what it means to be black, a lot of people kept bringing up Katrina without me even asking. They had seen uh, us on the roof crying for help, and it hurt our hearts to see that. And that's one of the moments in modern times that like just really just 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 hurt people so deeply about where we are in this country. Um, so digging into Katrina, a Katrina story, a post Katrina story, is just right on the pulse of what so many Black people are thinking about and just feeling in their hearts. Um, so I mean, a lot of people are going to be paying attention just just because New Orleans is important to us and Katrina is important to us. Yeah, and we show that too. We got footage of that of people crying for help. And then we got a chance to take our character to a, to a FEMA appointment. And our character is not somebody who is like somebody, you know, he's a college graduate, two years in college of Tulane, which is a great school. His wife is uh, a frontline worker right now. She, she, she basically would be someone that's helping all the COVID people, you know? She's uh, healthcare. 
And, you know, they was making about, you know, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 a year paying taxes. And their occupation and chances was washed away. And they going for help. And the lady tells her, unfortunately, the ninth board isn't covered. What do you mean it's not covered? The place that needed the most is not covered? Yes, that's what it was down there. You know what I mean? And so, so I made sure that scene was important to me, you know? And I put it right there in the, up in the early part of the film so people can understand, like, yo, people, we just, it's like, it's like going to, first of all, he went to apply for a job, right? And he tells the guy at the, at the you know, the, 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 the middle class uh, executive behind the desk, who says, who asks him a question, you know, well, who's your audience? <laughs> right? And he says, well, as an artist, if we only worry about our audience, our art will never grow. It'll never be pure. We have to create without thinking about our audience. And then the guy says, ah, oh, who's giving you all this bad information? And he says, well, actually, I got it from your transcript. From the Comet Expo. So even by following the teaching and the scrutiny and the path that the teacher was saying, you still ain't doing it right. Mm. How is that possible? Mm. How is that possible? And he realized that because he actually put on the shirt, he buttoned up his shirt and everything, and it didn't work. You know what I mean? His friends, he asked his friends, how do I look? They said, white. <laughs> and he went and swallowed that pill and went for the job, right? So that point being made, of course, Katrina hurt us as a people, hurt us as a country. Uh, you know, the government failed. You know what I mean? And if I could say something a little bit, I'm more of a spiritual guy, you know, than political, but if I could say something political political about it all, the, the, the big, uh, what's the word to use? Hypocrisy of it. It's the big hypocrisy of, of it all, right? Is when you see a senator a congressman, a, a fireman, a police officer, a street sweeper, a president, a mayor or a governor, they're all being paid a salary from our money. You're not getting a salary from my money, bro. You got to go do your job and some corporation is going to pay you. But when you get your paycheck, you're going to take a portion of that, probably 30% minimum, and you're going to mail it to somebody else to do a job for you. And that job is to police you, to protect you when fire comes, to make sure your streets are not too bumpy and, and the roads are clean, to make sure that, that if something happens, an emergency, and the Federal Enforcement Management Agency is coming to deal with that emergency, you've paid into a system that's supposed to come now and do the job that you're paying it for. And when that doesn't happen, that's a travesty. Shamik Moore is your lead, and he is a powerful young actor. And I know you're working with him uh, on, on the Wu-Tang project, right? So was it always Shamik, or did you think about it and then land on him? How did you get to him? Yeah, we had a couple of good um, ideas come in for this role, but when I met Shamik, I think I met him after the get down. 
And I think I saw him in dope. But when I saw him in the get down, I was just really impressed with him as an actor. And then when I met him and realized he was none of these characters that he played, I was even more blown away. Sometimes you meet an actor and they are, that's like J.D. Washington is not the characters he played. You know what I mean? Shamik has that same quality of being able to take the material, embody it, and put it back out. And I was just impressed with that. And I was like, wow, this kid, man, this kid is not, like, if he was an MC, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that, you know? He's nice. Um, and you're working with some big dogs in this. Talk about directing Wesley Snipes after his long legendary career. Yeah, well, Wes is, of course, a legend. Uh, uh, you know, I think we forget. I don't think we forget, but some people could forget how much of a thespian he is. You know, we watch him in Action Heroes and, and Blaze and all that. We forget that this is a trained master actor. And for this film, that's what he brought to the table. You know, I didn't come with the idea of the pipe. That he, 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 like I said, the actor prepares. He prepared for this. And he came, he had the pipe. He's like, yo, this is what I'm thinking of the character. He showed me his whole look. I said, oh, shit. Like, first of all, he, he, was, he, he read the character and he embodied it. And it was a, such a pleasure working with him. I mean, he came to set on the days he wasn't working and hung out and just kept the, got the vibe of the movie. and Just got the vibe of what was going on. And he just, he, I, I think he delivered it so well for me, man. Just, I'm, I'm, and I'm so grateful. You know, we had a chance to, you know, we, we have a same Kung Fu seafood. So we see each other in passing sometimes, but we never got a chance to work together, you know, on a space like, in a space like this. And it was just such a blessing uh, for him to come down and rock with me. Did, in terms of working with him, did he, you talk about the pipe, but did he do anything that made you go, oh, wow, this is a whole other level of master actor I'm talking to right here, I'm working with right here. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, like, if you, if you ever watch the chess player scene or when he's giving his son the advice, the way he does it, you know, even, even his eyes, even if you notice, he, he puts a little Creole in his voice every once in a while. You know what I mean? That's him doing his own inflection. That's him capturing what the character is, a guy who lives in a shack in the, near the swamp looking for crawfish. You know what I mean? But yet a father. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive. 
T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Torre. Thrivemarket.com slash Torre. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what I mean? He says the line to his son, you black on the lower ninth. What, what you expect? And his son tells him, yo, that's not an excuse. They know it's not an excuse. It's a fact. <laughs> but he says it in a way that any young man can understand that sometimes being black means the cause could be dealt against you. You got to overcome it. You got to overcome it, but accept that first and then overcome it. Don't be blind to it. Terrence Howard is in this picture and he's one of my favorite actors out, you know, and just, he has this light that he radiates and he's another one of these master actors. Talk about working with Terrence Howard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's he has so many elements of art and personality, you know, musician. I think me and Terrence met each other one day, it was at the Grammys, <laughs> and they sat, you know, they sit you in, they sat me beside him. I guess it was the Hustle and Flow year, right? And, uh, we're, and we're sitting beside each other. And, you know, we respect each other as men. And we started talking about some of the performances and just laughing. And we, and we kind of became cool, you know? And to get a chance for him to come and give his art to this film was such an a, a honor and a prestige. And I would say that, once again, he's another guy who's prepared. He don't do nothing without understanding the reason. In fact, there was a part where he was like, what? Hold on this why i'm like why would i say that i said you don't think you would say that nah i mean i don't see why i would say it i mean it says i say it but i, I don't it doesn't i don't understand i said let me tell you why what I, why I think you would say that if you look at your character right and i gave him some backdrop i said the thing about the character i think that's not on the page right is that he, he's, a, he's a contradiction of himself, but yet he's a belief of himself. So what I mean by that, it's like a preacher in the church preaching all the words but banging all the people in the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the mentality I, I felt that his character was in, in, in internally. And, uh, and he, he, once he got that, he just, he just delivered it so well. You ever when you get a chance to, and, and watch that scene again when he comes on the screen and he, he starts talking about his history and he and he walks and you see the you see where his whole operation is why he's preaching it's something really magic about that. What with Ti as another major part of this movie? My first thought is why did you decide or why did anyone decide to change the look of his face? Um, what what was that about? Well, that was written in the screenplay. So, you know, I honestly, I can share this with you. I honestly always, when I first got the screenplay, 
they sent it out to about 12 directors, whatever, and it, I ended up winning it. You know, you got to win this shit. You know what I mean? I ended up winning it, and um, I thought I was going to have Method Man play that part. I thought Meth would come in and just be this big brute and just rip this thing up. You know what I mean? And Meth told me that as an actor right now, he's not looking for bad roles. He's looking for good roles. I said, okay, I respect that. And I, I, had to need a, I needed somebody else to play the role. I didn't know who I was going to get. And then when my agent, uh, Cameron Mitchell, said, yo, T.I. read it. He's interested. I said, what? Because T.I., once again, he's a, you know, the girls love T.I., yo. And to disfigure himself, you know what I mean, means it's a serious acting move. And it was written, and he came in and fucking slayed it. To be honest with you, you can ask a question, but I was going to say, when, T. I., when, when, we, when, we, when we did the first two scenes of him, and we was like, cut, you know, half of the crew, especially the DP, it was like, yo, this fucking guy is amazing. Because you, you, you read it, you, you, you think you know what it's going to be. I haven't seen T.I. deliver that kind of subtleness in, in some of his other work. I love him in Ant-Man because his comedic timing was shocker, right? In Ant-Man, you didn't know T.I. was going to have your ass laughing and fucking eating your popcorn, but he did it. In this film, his danger and the weight of his position is all in his voice and all in his acting. I, I was very... Now, if you want to say who kind of shocked me, T.I. shocked me. Well, now, I didn't know that you had to really kind of fight and politic and win this job. So just to explain to me a little bit of that process and how it is you came out on top and won the job in this case. Yeah, I mean, that goes with any, any, any script that you don't write yourself. If you don't write it, it's a writer who wrote that. You know what I mean? Even my last film, Love Beast Rhymes, I didn't write that film. Liongate owned that film. It was their screenplay. They had a writer. And so the, and the writer was meeting different directors. You know, I came in, I read it. I came in, I pitched what I thought. And, you know, they, I went home. And then two weeks later, they said, okay, we, we landed on you. So that's the process. Like, if you write it yourself, it's different. Like, now the Iron Fist, I wrote it. And I pitched myself as the director. But when, when a writer writes a screenplay, you know, they have a voice in who's going to be the director the agency, you know, it's a lot of moving parts. And so what, what, what I think, you know, I wasn't the first guy with this screenplay. Even when I even when it was announced that I was going to do it, I heard a few other people like, oh, I was, I, yeah, I was up for that. Or I was thinking about that or whatever. What made, what made the writer give it to me, I think, was the relation, was not just, a, was like, even if you took Katrina out of this, right? This still is a pertinent story of four men of aspirations turning to desperations. And that's what I wanted to put the magnifying glass on. And all the corrupt people around you, you think somebody is, is doing something for the right cause, they're doing it for the wrong cause. Inspector Deck said, we got stick-up kid, corrupt cops and crack rocks and straight shots all on my block. It stays hot. That's happening in my film. See what I mean? And so I could relate to that. And so that's, and, and when the writer heard me bring that, as well as bring some light to it, meaning it ain't got to be all ugly, he, uh, you know, he was like, yo, he, he pursued it with Bobby. <laughs> What's the similarity between Riza the director and Riza the producer? 
I think the best way I can say that, Torrey, is that as a producer, my goal was to maybe move 10 to 12 people at most in the creation of a song. If you put a little band in, maybe 20 people at most will be all the things that's going to come together to create a song. But as a director, it's been up to 400 people moving at once to make something. So the producer is really a microcosm of the macrocosm of my directing ability. And if I was never the producer, it would not be, I wouldn't be able to be, I honestly, I wouldn't be able to, but I would think the producing part of me was the best school I could have went to to prepare me for being a director. For more from me and Riza, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much to the Riza for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, and Kathy F. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we'll be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.